Psalm 1. And we'll read from the first verse. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We, um, last time I spoke on you know, the first verse of Psalm 1, and um, says, Blessed is the man, the godly man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's what we looked at last time. We looked at you know, this you know, godly man, what he would not do. And the godly man is a new creation in Christ Jesus. He has the life of God within him and is a partaker of the divine nature. For this reason, you know, he will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly is the advice. It is the um, you know, lifestyle of the ungodly. This godly man will not go that way. You know, he will not take counsel you know, from these ungodly people. He will not stand. He will not go in the way of sinners. Nor will he stand in the, um, nor will he sit in the seat of the scornful. That those who despise, you know, religion and the things of God, he will have nothing whatsoever to do with them. And so this man withdraws himself, you know, from such a people. Now, what does he do, you know, having withdrawn himself from such a people? Well, you know, we're told that um, having separated himself from the ungodly who will otherwise infect him, you know, with, you know, their sinfulness, you know, he separates himself unto God. He separates himself unto God. And, um, and so we come, you know, this evening to look at verse 2, you know, that says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, and on his law, he meditates day and night. This man separates himself from that which is ungodly, and separates himself unto God. He finds fellowship with God most enjoyable. He finds fellowship with God in his word and applies his word to himself and he applies himself to the study of God's word. The law that David talks about here is the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses, which are called the law and the testimonies. This man applies himself you know, to study it and to meditate upon it. We're told there that his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is the secret of you know, spiritual growth and true happiness. The law of the Lord is God's word. The word delight you know, here means exceedingly great pleasure. 
So the psalmist is saying here that for the godly man, the word of God is his exceeding great delight, exceeding great pleasure. He studies it. Why? Well, he studies it, you know, because um, that he might, you know, know God's will and what his duties to God are. That's why he studies it. God has given us, you know, the Bible, you know, for, you know, our own, you know, as it's a revelation of God that we might know him, that we might know what he wants from us. And that's exactly what this godly man does. He immerses himself, you know, in, in, in God's word, that he might know God's will and then what his duties are, you know, to God. He, again, you know, does it because he wants to obey, not just read it and so on, he wants to obey it as well. And, you know, Psalm 40, you know, verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. He is determined, you know, to know God's will and to do it. He's a godly man. Again, we read in Psalm 113, verse 33, that, um, you, you, know, he, he, you know, he cries out to God, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. And this is, this is, this is what it's all about. Lord, teach me. Why? That I may do it. Not teach me that I may admire it and then walk away from it. No. God doesn't want that. God wants us, you know, to um, you know, obey him. And, you know, thirdly, he studies God's word that he might please God. That he might please God. That should be our aim in life, to please God. Now, our standard of godliness is to be taken from God's word. And so, this godly man comes to God's word with a willing and cheerful mind. Such is his delight in the law of his Lord that he desires to know it more and more and to have its truth impressed more and more on his heart. He delights in his instructions. He delights in his command. Tells us there, Psalm 119, verse 24. It says, your testimonies are my delight. Your testimonies are my exceedingly great pleasure. They are my counselors. He, said, you know, he separated himself from the sinners. He will not take counsel from them, but he says he will take counsel from God's word. God's word guides him and directs him and leads him and shows him the way he should go. God's word are his counselors. Psalm 37 verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart. And because of that, his steps does not slip. God's word makes such an impression upon him. And his fellowship with God, indeed, is very sweet. It says in verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 47, it says, For I find my delight in thy commandment, which I love. The godly man's delight is to read God's word for himself. He likes reading you know, God's word. He likes to hear others read it. He also delights to hear God's word expounded because he knows he will profit from it when he hears it you know, expounded and explained to him. The godly man loves and delights in all of God's law, not just bit that you know, suits him, not that bit that, um, you know, um, 
You know, he feels, you know, this is for me. And, and No, no, no. All of God's laws, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, they're all, you know, profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished for every good work. So this man, you know, really gives himself, you know, to God's word. You know, and all of it as well. He delights very much in God's word. Why? Because it reveals God to him. It reveals God's character, you know, to him. And he gets to know God better, you know, reading, you know, God's word. It, it impresses directly on his own soul concerning the truth of eternal issues. Things like life and death. And so he reads all about it there. And he has the right perspective on them. Things like heaven and hell are also very much, you know, things that um, you know, he becomes very familiar with and acquainted with, you know, because, you know, of um, his study of God's law. It reveals Jesus Christ to him as, you know, the savior of the world. He sees God's plan of salvation there. He understands it, and that makes a very deep impression upon him. This is the godly man. It also reveals the ultimate hope of mankind to him, to be with Christ in heaven. He delights very much in the word of God. And this delight you know, shows itself in two ways. First of all, he tells us, says that he meditates upon this law, you know, um, this law of God, he meditates upon it. The love of the law of God leads him to meditate upon it. That means he gives time, you know, to read God's word. He takes time, you know, thinking it over. He does not skim it as a novel. I always say that to people. I always say that to my students. You, you know, the word of God is not a novel. It's not something that, you know, you skim read. No, no. Give time to it. This is God's word to you. God is writing to you, and you should read it. You should take time over it. And this godly man deliberately sets aside a suitable portion of each day. He withdraws himself to a quiet place, away from noise and disturbance, and there he refreshes his spirit you know, by studying God's word. And that he does diligently. He considers what it says. He tries to understand it. He tries to you know, know its meaning and how it applies you know, to him. And so in doing that, you know, he um, you know, profits you know, from God's word. And so for the godly man, the law of God, God's word, is so important. He delights in it and he spends much, much time in it. And um, the, you know, his delight... His love of God's word also shows itself further, you know, in the fact that um, he delights, um, he meditates on God's word day and night. This is not a man that um, is um, joking. This is not a man that, um, you know, is trifling at all with anything that, um, you know, he shouldn't be trifling with. No, no, no. This man means business with God. He means business with God. He delights so much in God's word, that he meditates upon God's law day and night. Now, that does not mean that um, he doesn't do anything else. No, no, no. It says in Psalm 119, 
and um, <clears throat> verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. That does not mean that he carries his Bible all day with him, doesn't do anything at all. Not at all. That's not what he's saying. If he does that, he will never do any work. So what does it mean that he meditates on God's word day and night? Well, it means, first of all, that, um, <coughs> excuse me, that he meditates upon God's word often. He's in the habit of meditating upon God's word, filling his mind with God's truth. By disciplining him, his mind to think about what he has read. That's where the meditation comes in. Thinking over what you've read. What does it mean? How does it apply to me? What's God saying to me you know, through all this? That's what you know, it means to meditate upon God's word. And that's exactly what this man does. It means that you know, he does this at all times. You know, when he's between you know, duties, he's thinking over what is read you know, um, sometime in the morning. Even in the midst of his duties, his mind is going over what he has read you know, um, of God's word. He's ever pondering what he has read. Ever thinking about what he has read. It also means that um, even at night time, when perhaps he's unable to sleep, he meditates on God's word. It says in Psalm 63, verses 5 to 6, Psalm 63, verses 5 to 6, My soul will be satisfied with fat as with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That's Psalm 63, verses 5 to 6. That's what this godly man does. In other words, he uses every opportunity to read and to meditate upon God's word. And this is how important God's word is to him. It means that every day, as often as possible, you know, he meditates upon God's word. Now, the word of God that you have in your hands, believe it or not, has come to you at a tremendous cost. It has come to you at a tremendous cost. It's very easy to take it for granted. When the Bible was written originally, it was in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And then it was translated into Latin. And from there, William Tyndale, this great man, the first man to translate the Bible into English, he realizes that um, the only way people are going to know God is for them to have you know, the word of God in their own language. Because in those days, the Catholic Church will not allow people to read the Bible. You couldn't have a Bible in those days. They were not you know, easily available. And so the priest you know, were telling people all kinds of you know, things, lies, and so on. And so this man was determined that he will you know, get the, lang you know, the Bible into people's language. And so... You know, he decided to translate the Bible um, into uh, the English language. And so he did. He translated the Bible into the English language from the original Greek and Hebrew and the Latin Vulgate. But to do that, 
he had to flee this country because they didn't want him to translate the Bible. He had to flee this country and he fled to Germany. And it was there that he began to translate God's word. I'm not going to bore you with his life history. But he was betrayed by an Englishman. And eventually, you know, he was captured. He was tied to a stake. He was strangled with a rope. And then he was burned to death. Why? Because he translated the Bible into English. People used to smuggle it into England. If it were not for so, goodness knows, maybe you and I wouldn't have that Bible that we have in our hands today. This man gave his life so that you and I can have God's word. I ask you, how well do you treasure that Bible that you've got? How do you, you know, do you read it? Do you appreciate it? What part does the Bible play in your life? How often do you read God's word? What portion of the day do you, um, you know, give to reading God's word? And then there's somebody else. that was involved in getting our Bibles to us. And it's a young girl, Mary Jones. If you've never read the story of Mary Jones, I will beg you, you know, to sell whatever you've got and buy this book. The story of Mary Jones. A very poor Welsh girl. A girl who, at the age of six, for some reason, you know, became interested in the things of God and in the Bible. Let me read you some, you know, extracts, you know, from this book. I'm not going to, you know, give it all away. <clears throat> she used to, um, she used to go. She used to know a farmer's a farmer, and the wife of the farmer, you know, um, invited her. In those days, people didn't have Bibles. People didn't have Bibles. But this farmer, you know, has a Bible. And Mary Jones found out that um, this farmer had a Bible. And she went to them and said, you know, would you mind if I came to read your Bible? She was eight years old. And so they allowed her to come and read the Bible. And once, you know, she read, you know, these words. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And she cried to God, I will, I will. I will search and learn all I can. Oh, if I had but a Bible of my own. She had a yearning, a young girl, to have a Bible of her own. She didn't have one. She couldn't afford one. And so on. And one day she's been to the farmer's house and has read the Bible, came back and said to her father, Oh, father, the more I read about Jesus Christ, the more I want to know. And I shall never rest until I have a Bible of my own. It's amazing, um, you know, story, you know, this girl's story. I don't want to give everything away, but... Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's an amazing thing. <clears throat> and so we find um, 
you know, Mary Jones um, decided that she will have her own Bible. And it says, through six long years, she has hoarded every penny, denying herself little indulgences, which the poverty of her life must have made doubly attractive to one so young. With joy, what a joy it would be, she often thought, if every day she could read and commit to memory portions of scriptures, storing her mind and her heart with immortal truths. But the time will come, she says, when I shall have my Bible. Yes, though I have waited so long, that time will come. Then on her knees beside her little bed, she had prayed, Dear Lord, let that time come quickly. And then, six years, she saved up every penny. She did all kinds of menial work just to earn money for Bible. And after six years, she had enough money to buy a Bible. Three pounds and six shillings. And then she went to her father. I've got the money to buy my Bible. But where can I find a Bible? My father says, you know, you won't find a Bible, you know, here in Abaga, um, Norway. You wouldn't find it here. And so, it was a very distressing time for her to find out that, um, you know, she couldn't um, buy a Bible. After six long years of saving every penny, every farthing that she earned. And then, you know, she was told that, you know, there's a place where she can buy the Bible and uh, she has to go to Thomas Charles of Bala. And there she'll buy a Bible. And so Thomas Charles lived 25 miles away. And this, lady, this young girl, you know, started out from her village to walk 25 miles to buy a Bible. And she set out. Says her feet were blistered and cut with stones and her head, her, her head ached and her limbs were very weary. She walked 25 miles through the mountains and valleys all the way, you know, to Bala to meet Thomas Charles who, you know, hopefully will give her a Bible. And what happened when she got to Thomas Charles? Well, Thomas Charles was very surprised that a girl so young, you know, had an interest in the Bible. At this stage, you know, she was about, um, you know, 14, 15. And um, then Thomas Charles examined her, you know, uh, her knowledge of the Bible and was delighted with the girl's intelligent replies, which showed how earnestly and thoroughly she had studied the book she loved so well. But how, my child, he said, did you get to know the Bible as you do when you do not own one for yourself? And then Mary Jones, you know, told, told him, you know, you know, about, um, you know, Mrs. Evans, you know, the farmer's wife and so on. And then Thomas Charles dropped a bombshell. I'm indeed grieved, dear, you know, dear girl, that um, you have come all this way from Clanford Hegel to buy a Bible and that I should be unable to supply you with one. I just can't begin to imagine. You have to read the book you know, to understand how she felt when she heard that from Thomas Charles. Her entire hope was completely dashed Thomas Charles says, um, the consignment of Welsh Bible 
that I received from London last year was all sold out months ago, excepting a few copies which I have kept for friends whom I must not disappoint. Her life came crashing down because she couldn't have a Bible. And she sobbed and she said this, it's all over, all of no use. My prayers, my longing, my waiting, my working, my saving for six long years, the weary tramp, you know, with bare feet, the near prospect of her hopes being fulfilled all, all in vain, you know, she cried. And then Thomas Charles looked at her. I don't know what happened to him. He said to her, my dear child, I see you must have a Bible. Difficult as it is for me to spare you one. It is impossible, yes, simply impossible to refuse you. And so what happened? Thomas Charles you know, gave her a Bible and said to her, if you, my dear girl, are glad to receive this Bible. Truly, I am glad to be able to give it to you. Read it carefully. Study it diligently. Treasure up the sacred words in your, in your memory and act upon its teaching. And so she got a Bible. And it says this about her on her way home. Her heart, like a lark song, full of thanksgiving, and her voice breaking out now and again into melody, to which the words of some old hymn of a well-known and much-loved text you know, said themselves without an effort on the girl's part. She was so happy. She was so excited you know, to receive you know, that Bible, the Bible which she had toiled and waited and prayed and wept for became each day more precious to her. The word of the Lord was indeed nigh unto her, even in her mouth and in her heart. That Bible that she got became her constant companion. It became her constant companion. And um, you know, when, um, she, when she got married, when she got married and had her children, this is what it, you know, was said of this young girl. You know, at that time, she was a little bit older. It says um, she's got um, a husband and children of her own, and the care of a home for which she alone was responsible, with new duties, fresh cares. Mary's love for her Bible had grown, not diminished. Not diminished at all. Other things had changed. Companionship, home influences, claims, interests, but the sacred word remained to her unaltered, you know, except that every day it grew more and more into her heart, and it became one you know, um, you know, um, with her life, yielding her in answer to careful study, earnest prayer for God's spirit to enlighten, to enlighten her, and so on and so forth. And um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. But you get what I'm saying. And because of that girl, the Bible Society was formed. Thomas Charles, you know, called you know, some of the leading um, you know, uh, ministers together, and they decided that something has to be done. And so the Bible Society was formed. And because of the Bible Society, you have the Bible that you have in your hands you know, tonight. How precious is it to you? 
How precious is it to you? Paul, in writing to the Colossians, says this to them. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. In other words, get to know God's word. You know, study it, hide it in your heart. And the only way for that to happen is if you give yourself to it. Now, people make all kinds of excuses as to why you know, they, they, you know, they cannot read God's word. They don't read God's word. And I've heard all kinds of excuses in my time, and none of them is valid. One is that the Bible is too big. That's what people say to me. The Bible is too big. Well, the Bible is big because it's God's revelation of himself to us. And God revealed himself to us gradually. And what God revealed was written down. If God had revealed himself to us in one go, we will not be able to take it. And that's why the Bible is the way it is today. And the other excuse I hear people you know, um, give is that um, it is too difficult to understand. And I think that is rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. And they don't bother to read it because of that. They probably just rather watch television. <coughs> Granted, some parts of the Bible are difficult to understand. Like some parts of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. But the historical narratives, you know, from Joshua to Esther, are not too difficult to understand. Genesis you know, to and Deuteronomy, they're not too un- they're not too difficult to understand. All the historical books, they're not too difficult, you know, to understand. The gospels, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot say that it, you know, um, it's too difficult to understand. The same with the books of Acts. It's just very straightforward. But remember, the Bible is God's word. And we need help to understand it. And we must always come to God, you know, prayerfully when we come, you know, to God's word. We, you know, we um, sang, you know, early on in God's um, thing, in the last, um, you know, hymn. Oh, send thy spirit, we, you know, we, we sang. Now unto me, that he may touch my eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word and in thy book revealed. I see the Lord. We sang it. Say prayer unto God. That as we come you know, to God's word, that God you know, might you know, um, you know, show us you know, what is concealed in his word. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We must never come to the Bible you know, thinking that um, you know, we can say, no, we must come to God you know, prayerfully. When we come to his word, we must always start with prayer. Asking God to open our eyes, as the psalmist says, open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. We must pray, we must come to it prayerfully. You know, if we're going to you know, make, uh, get anything out of it, we must you know, do so. We cannot understand it otherwise. It is God's word, and only God you know, can teach us. In other words, Ask God to help us to understand, you know, so that we may profit, you know, from his word. Now, also, 
if you read something that you don't understand, why not talk to someone who might be able to explain it to you? There's nothing better than that. If someone says, listen, I've read this, you know, and it's puzzling me. I don't get it at all. You know, what do you think? You know, can you explain it to me? There's nothing shameful about that. It's quite normal, you know, to do that. Now, if we call ourselves Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, and you never meditate upon God's word, you will make very slow progress in your Christian life. There's no question at all about that. Your progress will be very, very slow. Your prayers will be very weak. Your praises will be dull, and all your religious duties will be unprofitable. Must give time to God's word. We cannot bypass it. It won't happen. God has given us his word for a particular reason, that we might know him, that we might please him, we might know how to conduct our lives and so on. But if you will give yourself to God's word, to study it, to meditate upon it, it will change your life. It will shape your life. It will mold you. And the evidence will be there for others to see, just like, you know, with Mary Jones, the bit that, uh, some bits that I didn't read to you, about the impact that she had on the people around her, you know, because of God's word. And you'll be genuinely happy because of it. The Bible says, blessed is that man, happy is that man who meditates upon God's word day and night. It will shape our character and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what the godly man would do. We looked last time at what he would not do. You know, he will not consort you know, with sinners and so on. But this is what he will do. He gives himself to God to meditate upon God's word. You know, to know God more as he studies and meditates upon God's word. He finds fellowship with God in his word. A real joy and great delight. I wonder, could you say that about yourself? That you find great delight in fellowship with God as you read and meditate upon God's word. Could this be said of you? Do you give time to God's word? This is the secret of true happiness and true joy. May God help us to treasure his word and to be happy as the Bible says. May God, you know, bless his word, you know, to us. Amen.